following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Today's teaching comes from FIBC Senior Pastor Senior Pastor N. Eric Nielsen. One of the things I can thank my own mother for, who's not here today, uh, is that when I began reading the Bible with her, we read from January 1 to the 31st of December, and uh, every day for a whole year. And that began my annual habit of reading the Bible according to a reading plan, not necessarily every year from the beginning to the end of the Bible. Uh, different years I use different reading plans, but always having that habit of having a reading plan to follow along in the scriptures and listen to what the Lord might be saying to me. Well, if you begin the year, the first of January, at the beginning of the Bible, then as you're getting close to the end of January, you probably hit the book of Leviticus. Now, you know, as you begin in Genesis, it's pretty exciting. Creation, important people like Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then Joseph's life is pretty exciting. Then you get to Exodus, and you see Moses and the, uh, the plagues that hit Egypt and the exciting uh, exodus out of Egypt and all of the army of Pharaoh being drowned. And it's pretty exciting and it's pretty fast-paced as you, as you read along. And then all of a sudden, you hit Leviticus. And suddenly everything slows down to a crawl. Anyone else experience that? You wonder, how am I supposed to get through this book? Yeah, okay. Well, I'm hoping that after today, you will appreciate the book of Leviticus much more. Because by understanding its place in God's unfolding plan to deal with the root of mankind's problem and to fill our deepest, deepest need as mankind, Leviticus takes on a whole new, amazing picture for us. It is. God's unfolding plan to deal with the root of our problems and to fill us in our deepest of needs. The root of every problem in this world, think about it, is sin. Every evil, every selfishness, exploitation, deceit, theft, lust, greed, it's all because mankind went against God's way. Sin is at the root of our problems today. Every broken relationship, every broken promise, Every problem is because of sin, and the problem with sin is that as humans now, we have pride and arrogance, so now we want to prescribe to God what it takes to deal with sin. We tell Him how we should deal with sin. Well, God has dealt with sin, the root of our problem, and He has showed us how to fill our deepest need, and it's all about fellowship with God. So part one today is the first half of Leviticus, where I'm hoping you'll understand that atonement is the basis for our fellowship with God. That's how God dealt with our greatest problem of sin, atonement. Part two next week is all about holy living as the way that we maintain our fellowship with God. Okay, so first the basis of our fellowship and next how we maintain that fellowship with God. So we tend to ignore Leviticus because of our understanding already of the atonement of Jesus Christ. We just sang about the wonderful cross 
And because of all that Jesus did for atoning for our sins, oftentimes we look at Leviticus and, well, I can skip all that because Jesus already did that for me. But I believe that we'll better understand what Christ did for us on the cross if we choose not to ignore Leviticus. And so with this bigger picture understanding of Leviticus, my hope is that you will read it again and have a better understanding of it, uh, some of the smaller details. But here's what today's message is going to be about. First of all, that sin requires a sacrifice for atonement. Sin requires a sacrifice for atonement. And God provided the sacrifices in Leviticus first. And secondly, a sacrifice requires a mediator, one to bring the two parties together. And God provided a priesthood. That's what we'll also see today. And thirdly, that God has to make a distinction between the clean and the unclean in order to distinguish between the holy and the common. So if you want a purpose for Leviticus, Here's what I would suggest is the purpose. It is to communicate God's holiness and show his covenant people how they, though sinful, could have fellowship with him. That's the whole book of Leviticus. I hope you'll understand the big picture of that. And then the purpose of just these first 17 chapters is this, to prescribe the atoning sacrifices required for sinful people to have fellowship with a holy God. Hope you caught that. To prescribe the atoning sacrifices required for sinful people to have fellowship with a holy God. So first, sin requires a sacrifice. And if you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 1, we'll just read the first part of it because it introduces the idea of a sacrifice necessary for sin. And we'll read the first nine verses together. A lot of the other parts of these first couple of chapters are a variety of offerings. It says, the Lord called Moses, called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And you'll remember two weeks ago when Austin preached about the uh, tabernacle, what that tent of, the significance of that tent of meeting and some of the details there. He said, verse 2, Leviticus chapter 1, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either herd or the flock. If the offering is a bird offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord. And then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The, son of, the sons of Aaron, the priest, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the burning wood that is on the altar. He is to wash the inner parts and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now this concept of a sacrificial system was not uncommon in Israel's day. It's just that the other cultures had different kinds of sacrifices for their gods, but Israel's was different. In the other cultures in their day, what was offered was considered a food for the gods. And in the other cultures, the entrails of the animals were used as a form of fortune-telling or divination. But for Israel, 
as we read in these verses here, Moses repeatedly says that it is the aroma of the sacrifices that is what's pleasing to the Lord. And we understand also, from what, based on what God says later on about their sacrifices, it turns out it's not so much the smoke, the smell of the smoke that pleases the Lord God, but it is the faith in Him, and it is the obedience to His commands which the smoke then represents that pleases Him. Chapter 1, verse 13. Stop bringing me offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Take your evil deeds out of my sight, the Lord says. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Please the ca- plead the case of the widow. So you see, the aroma that was pleasing to the Lord was his people acting in obedience and in faith. Romans 12.1, therefore, in the New Testament says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, rather than the pouring on of blood of the bulls and goats. But for Israel, it is the blood of the animal that was significant as it was applied by sprinkling or pouring. And any animal killed for eating must be drained of its blood, the blood never eaten, because the Lord says in Leviticus chapter 17, because the life of every creature is the blood. So what are we to take from this? Well, it is the fact that God provided a sacrificial system for the sins of his people to be atoned. If you quickly, if you read through it, you'll quickly notice that there are sacrifices of whole animals to be burned, there's offerings of grains that are partly to be burned and partly to be eaten by the priests, there were offerings made to remove guilt, and there were offerings to express thanksgiving for deliverance or blessing. There were sacrifices prescribed for unintentional sins, and for deliberate sins, like if you refused to testify when you should have, or if you had touched something unclean. And there were concessions made. This may be new to some of you. There were concessions made in the sacrifice required if a person couldn't afford what was required. And besides the sins that were committed against the Lord that required a sacrifice, there were requirements of restoring and restitution if you'd committed a sin against your neighbor. And this sacrificial system is quite detailed, and maybe that's why it, it, it's, uh, it bogs us down as we look at the details of the description of what has to be sacrificed, how the offering was prepared, whether it should be burned or eaten, or what sins they were applied to. Now, someone might protest and say that the system is so complicated, it's so redundant, it certainly doesn't take into account the needs of the animals. Well. Three things I want us to remember as you read the book of Leviticus. Let's remember that it reveals how God is reluctant to punish sinners. He created a sacrificial system because he's reluctant to punish sinners. He would not rather have sinners perish as they deserve. He would rather that they repent and have eternal life. Secondly, let's remember that it reveals that God is ready to forgive. He is by nature compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And thirdly, let's remember that God regards as most precious to him mankind. We were made in his image and made for a relationship with him, and that's why he provided a sacrificial system, to pay for our sins. And it's a good thing that God is holy and pure and righteous and just, because anything less means that evil people and bad deeds can go unpunished. So the sacrifices are necessary to provide atonement for the sins of God's people, 
Why? So that there would be fellowship between God who is holy and people who are sinful and guilty and unrighteous. If you look at the summary of why God provided the book of Leviticus, at the very end of the book, he says, I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. The book of Leviticus is all about fellowship between a holy God and a sinful people. And what does fellowship mean? It's any kind of an association that's based on having something in common. So what does a holy God have in common with a sinful, guilty, and unrighteous people? Well, we're created in his image. We bear a reflection of his character. But ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we have been separated from God. And there cannot be fellowship between light and darkness, holiness and purity and sin. So until our sin has been dealt with and the guilt removed and the unrighteousness cleansed, we cannot have fellowship with God. And for the removal of that sin, an atonement is required. What does atonement mean? Well, you can think of it as at-one-ment, where those who are alienated, alienated are reconciled to become one again. Separation is replaced by union. A broken relationship is restored. You know, even today, the Jews observe what is said in Leviticus chapter 16 about a day of atonement. This is an annual day, supposed to be celebrated on the 10th day of the seventh month, when the people would take a Sabbath of rest. And the high priest would make atonement for the tabernacle, the priest, and the people. And if you turn with me to, in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16, we'll look at exactly what it was specified. On that one day, when they would remember that their sins are atoned for. Through all of the generations ever since this time, verse 29 of chapter 16, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests and all the people of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And Jews today still celebrate the Day of Atonement. It's called Yom Kippur. When we were at the um, DIS fair, next to the FIBC table was the Chabad table. And next to us was the leader of the Chabad. Um, and so I took the opportunity to ask him some questions since I'd been studying the book of Leviticus and to ask him specifically about the Day of Atonement. Because the Day of Atonement for the Jew is much like Christmas is for some Christians. They say they celebrate Christmas, even though they don't really believe in Christ. And there are, so many, there are many Jews that don't really observe the annual feasts or the celebrations or some of the requirements, and yet they'll still observe Yom Kippur. But I asked especially because there are no animal sacrifice today, right? There's no temple. So how can there be atonement if there's no blood sacrifice? And his answer was actually quite surprising. He says that our prayers are offered as sacrifices. Interesting. 
Here it's very clear that there must be blood, and yet without any temple or a tent of meeting for it to be done, I wonder how sins can be atoned for. Well, of course, you and I know that God has provided a lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when he came on the scene, they said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. It's interesting about Yom Kippur that it is a solemn festival. It is the need to afflict your soul, I was told as well, to confess our sins. But the undertone throughout, especially because at the conclusion when you have been forgiven, it's all about joy. It's all about celebration because the sins of the past are forgiven and we look ahead to a new year. Well, that necessity of sacrifice for animals, for the guilt of mankind, is a pattern that we see throughout the Bible. Here in Leviticus is the first time we actually see it prescribed, not just described. Take a look at the fact that Adam and Eve, as they felt shame over their nakedness, God had to kill an animal to provide skins to cover their nakedness. Cain's offering of fruits and soil was rejected, but Abel, who offered the firstborn of his flock, he was accepted. And God said to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Noah offered animals, Abraham, Job, and a lamb was sacrificed and its blood applied to the doorpost when the angel of death moved through Egypt and killed the firstborn of every family that didn't have the Passover lamb marking their doorway. So Leviticus and the law that was revealed to Moses is the first time that animal sacrifices were not just described, they were prescribed in detail and for specific varieties of guilt. And then for us, you and I who live in the New Testament times under the New Covenant, we understand Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is something that Isaiah had prophesied to the Lord's people centuries prior. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, Isaiah says. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The atoning sacrifice would be made, and who would have guessed that it would be God's own Son that would come as the Lamb? But in all of this, as you read the book of Leviticus, remember that God intends for you and I to see that there was a necessity for a blood sacrifice to atone for the sins of mankind. All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, says the uh, writer of Hebrews. The tabernacle, the vessels, the altars, the sacrifices, they were just a copy, a pattern, a type of the heavenly dwelling place of God. And Christ, the Son of God, was, as it says in Hebrews chapter 9, sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. I, I, I'm sure that many of you here who believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Lamb of God and are part of this new covenant, if you read the book of Leviticus, you will appreciate that much more what Jesus Christ did on the cross for our sins. This new covenant is a covenant where the law is placed in our hearts, written on our minds. It's a covenant where sins and lawless acts, God says, I will remember no more. A covenant where there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Why? Because Christ has already done it. There's only one way for fellowship with God, friends. One basis upon which we can be forgiven of our sin. One doorway which we can approach the living God's holy throne. It is Jesus, his son, because of his death on the cross. So it is wrong of us to think that God accepts us for sentimental reasons. 
You know, I once heard about a story of a pastor and his worship leader debating about the song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Should they use that in the worship service or not? I mean, all this talk about blood that's kind of gory, should we really worship that way? The pastor was trying to convince the worship leader, don't use nothing but the blood, say nothing but the love of Jesus. Well, friends, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God said the requirement was a sacrifice. And it would be wrong for us to imply that we can add anything to what Jesus already did on the cross. Oh, I still have to be baptized. Oh, I still have to, I still have to do this. I still have to go to church. Friends, if we add anything to the cross of Jesus Christ, we're saying that Christ's sacrifice is insufficient for our salvation. It would be wrong of us to suggest that there are some other requirements or to tell God what the requirements really are or to suggest that his requirements are only optional. God is holy and pure and just and righteous. He gets to determine the, right, the requirements. And when he says in 1 John 1, 7 that the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, then we have to embrace that and believe that by faith. One time a preacher was preaching from 1 John 1, 7 and, and, and mentioned that verse, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And someone in the congregation stopped him and said, how does blood cleanse from sin? Preacher thought for a moment. And he said, well, I'll ask you a question. How does thirst, or how does water quench a thirst? The man said, I don't know. Well, I don't know either how blood can cleanse sin, but I know that it does. So let's not argue, let's not negotiate, let's not protest, let's not attempt to redefine the atonement that Jesus made. The Lord is God. We have sinned against him, yet he made a way for sins to be atoned for and for us to be forgiven. So our response is simply faith, gratefulness, and confidence. Sin requires a sacrifice, and secondly, a sacrifice requires a mediator. As you continue reading in Leviticus, you'll see that God makes some very specific instructions about priests, those who should mediate, who were set apart from the people. They were under special restrictions. They were the ones to declare whether something was clean or unclean, whether skin was leprous or whether it was healed. They attended to the altar where the sacrifices were made. They presented what the people uh, provided, and they were the only ones allowed into the tent of meeting. They were the ones, it says, to teach the Israelites all the decrees of the Lord. And so this book of Leviticus is essentially a worship manual for them. And God's judgment, when you see in chapter 10, Aaron's sons didn't follow his instructions carefully. And it says they offered a strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. The consequence, a fire from the Lord consumed them and they died. Their kinsmen had to carry their corpses away. It's because the priests played a critical role. They maintained the connection between God and his people. They made the sacrifices, ensuring that everything about God's instructions were done according to his instructions. So when parties are at odds, well, a mediator is necessary. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Well, if you go into the New Testament, to, for us to understand again what Christ's ministry is, read the book of Leviticus, because the priesthood of the Old Testament was also a copy a type of what Christ would do. And the book of Hebrews explains that what Christ did is far superior than what Aaron as priests did. And we should be grateful for the ministry of our high priest, Jesus Christ, who is, as the Bible says, 
the one mediator between God and men. He obtained eternal redemption, it says, not just temporary for one year. We have a new and living way into the most holy place. And the most holy place was not made by hands. The most holy place is the very presence of God in heaven. Our guilty conscience even can be cleansed. He's not only the atoning sacrifice for sins, but he is the one who speaks to the Father in our defense when we have sinned. You know that when the Reformers, when they began to understand the Scriptures, they realized that the priestly ministry of Christ was so significant that they don't have priests in so many Protestant denominations. We don't have priests. We are priests. I am not your mediator who sacrifices on your behalf as your minister. I am your shepherd and your teacher, but not your priest. This table behind me is not an altar where we sacrifice Christ again and again. When we place the, the bread and the wine on there, it is a reminder that Jesus Christ has already been sacrificed. There is no clergy and laity distinction in our church. I might have the title of pastor, but we are all ministers. We have one priest, and that is Christ. And Peter says that together we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So realize, friends, as you read the book of Leviticus, this is your ministry as priests. We are likened to living stones who are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And when you come in here Sunday after Sunday, you are doing just that, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you go to work tomorrow and, and do your work as unto the Lord, you are offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the priest offered sacrifices. The priest mediated between God and the people. The priest was set apart and made sure that God's people remained holy. For you and I, for us, we not only have Jesus who serves that role, we are the priests. And we worship the Lord with sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise and tithes and financial gifts and talents and abilities and resources. We intercede in prayer for the, on behalf of the unsaved who are in need of Christ. We identify with the sinners around us, although we are set apart to live a pure and holy lifestyle. So I know it is tempting to judge a minister to a higher standard than a normal Christian. But friends, you don't have that luxury, okay? You don't have the luxury to say, well, that's our priest, he has to live by a different standard. You have to live by a different standard. And that's why this third part of today's message about the people required to remain clean is so important as well. As you read it, chapters 11 to 15, you see that God makes distinctions between clean and unclean. Now, I won't go through them all, but you can read them for yourself. Very interesting that there are animals that are clean and unclean, that a woman who'd given birth to a son is unclean for 40 days, meaning that she cannot have rela sexual relations again until those 40 days are over. But when a woman has given birth to a girl, she is unclean for twice that long, for 80 days. Why? I'm not sure. Just thankful we have only boys. 
And as we look at the book of Leviticus and understand what we have in terms of clean and unclean, as we look at the book of Leviticus and understand what is clean and unclean, we need to remember that God didn't just prescribe these things for health purposes, even though perhaps there are some healthy reasons behind what animals to eat and what animals not to eat. God was prescribing these things because he wanted his people to be different, to be holy, to be set apart. The Lord's people should be unique because they are light in the darkness. The Lord's people should always be concerned with displaying his likeness in everyday things because he's holy. And the Lord's people should be constantly aware that they have a special relationship with him. Do you realize that for the, for the Jew living under Moses, every aspect of daily life, had the, the, the scripture said something about it. They were constantly aware that they were in a special relationship with God. Why should that be different for us today? We always should be constantly aware that, that God is in a special relationship with us. We are his special people. And we should refrain from that which God has said would separate us from him, the sins that would make us impure and unholy. Now, we won't go into the specifics of applying some of the laws of Leviticus when I look at it next week. Maybe a few of them. But we need to remember our living example of a life of holiness and purity was Jesus himself. So we look at Jesus' life. He declares that it is not the things that go into a man that defile him, but the things which proceed out of the man that defile him. Jesus did not avoid the leper. He touched them, and he made them whole. Jesus was not concerned about the purity of the cup in the dish. Instead, he said, give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Let's remember that also as we read the book of Leviticus. It is just as important as God's people. We are different from the unbelievers. We are concerned about displaying God's likeness, and we are constantly aware of that special relationship that we have with God. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, then we lie, and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So as I close, let me simply review. The atoning sacrifice of Christ, that's the basis for our fellowship with God. It is the only way of approach. It is what makes us holy and in right standing with God. The distinct lifestyle that we live as holy people, that's how we continually maintain our fellowship with God. That's the walk of holiness, the way of fellowship. And among so many, they get it reversed. So many unbelievers think, first I have to clean up my life, obey God in everything, and then he'll accept me. No, friends. God accepts us on the basis of the atoning sacrifice that he provided, Jesus Christ, his son. And now that we have been made holy, now our lives are to reflect that holiness. It is because of the sacrifice of Christ and his forgiveness and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit that we now want to maintain our constant fellowship with God our Father. And we're confident his ways are always better than our ways. They're far more pleasant, even if they are more difficult in the immediate presence. Let us pray. 
This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBCCPH. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. listening.